Hi, you're listening to Missing the Conversation with me, pub landlady Miranda Richardson. I've decided to do this podcast with my nearest and dearest. We're going to talk about all sorts of things from family and friendship to cancer and grief. Every topic that happens to all of us at some point in our lives. You might find we babble on a little bit, but then you might also find that little nugget that will just help you get through your day that little bit easier. Happy listening. So my guest today is my very darling, what would be the nearest thing to a big brother, Mr. Andrew Pitwick. Good morning. Hello, Miranda. We we are speaking across the channel, are we not? Because you are in, in that there French France. Indeed, I'm in Europe and you are no longer fast adrift in, yeah. in the North Sea somewhere. Yeah, but I can come visit because I have an Irish passport, so all is good. <laughs> I get, well, you're still European. That's good. Uh, there, that works. Um, so, my darling, it is, what is it? It's about 11 o'clock in the morning. What what can I get you to drink? Good landlady, what can I get you to drink? Well, it's 12 here. Oh, lunch. So, yeah. Um, it'd probably be a glass of red, I'm guessing, and Merlot. French. <laughs> May we? May we? Trey Bon, Trey Bon, Rodney. Uh, not going to do any more of that. Because that's just a whole slip. No, don't do it. So, for um, those that that seem fit to listen, um, I'm going to explain how we know each other. Okay. So, you and your three brothers and mum and dad uh, moved to the little sleepy village of Middleton Cheney in Oxfordshire in what I guess was about 1980. 79. Nine. Yeah, just I think just before I turned four. <laughs> I was so small. And uh, mum and dad came to run the village post office, didn't they? Yeah. Um, and in tow came um, eldest brother Gary, then Russell, then you, and then baby pain in the arse, Stuart. Yeah. Four boys. Correct, yeah. yeah. And at the time, so what would you have been in 79? How old? Um, I was um, 17, I'd have been 14. Yeah. It would basically be me and Stuart because Gary at that time was in the Marines and Russell at that time was in the Navy. They were, they were. Um, so it was just the two of you. If I recall rightly, um, Gary and Russell, despite the fact they weren't there, had commandeered the very top floor of the post office and you and Stuart shared the room opposite mum and dad next to the bathroom crikey yeah I, I think you know I can't remember I think I, I, I always had upstairs apart from when we ripped it apart because yeah because there were there were two rooms at the top weren't there it was kind of like a, a at the very top did it not have a like little break between the two rooms at the top of the cottage yeah it sort of like yeah. had at the top of the stairs just a stairwell yeah but the length of the house and then two rooms, sort of like one off the other. Yeah. So it was a bit difficulty. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and like I say, the, the, the older two were, were off uh, serving the nation. And you started at the secondary school. Uh, at, and, I did. Uh, in Chanderet. Was it Maudlin? Maudlin, yeah. Yeah. Maudlin yeah, College, yeah. It, did Stuart, yeah, Stuart ended up at Chanderet, didn't he? 
Yeah. Yeah. Yes, because if you had not have gone to Brackley, you would not have met the wonderful Nicola. Indeed. Who is your wife now of how many years? 33? 34? 36 years, yeah. And you so you met Nicola at school um and you 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 dated and the joys of your dating meant that you two got to babysit me. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> yes. Um Quite often, I, I, God knows what my mother was, was out doing, but she was either round hanging out with your mum uh, in the post office or doing something wildly exciting, but it, it did mean that you and Nicola got got to come round and, and look after me and babysit me. I'm ideal child, obviously. I was probably so good. Incredibly good. It was, yeah, it was like you weren't ever taped to your bed. Never taped no. you to your bed. No, 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 no. So, um you then, so so fast forward a couple of years and you yourself joined the Marines? Yeah. How old, how old were you then? 16. Wow. That's young, isn't it? I couldn't imagine Spud going off at that age. No. It, it, in hindsight, for me, it was too young. But I don't regret it. But it, it's too young physically and mentally, 16, to, to join the Marines. There you go. And how, how long did you do? I was only a couple of years. Too much. Only a couple of years. I can remember joining. Yeah. Um, day before I left, your mum gave me a card. Yeah. I remember that because it was hand-drawn by, is it Yvonne? Yvonne Talbot. Talbot yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Drawn a sort of like a good luck card that obviously your mum wrote for me. I remember that. Distinctly. It was really good. There you go, you see. Um, and it, it was hard, wasn't it? It was hard because, you know, Gary and, and, and Russell had gone off to do do their thing and you, you know, dad had been, you know, dad had been in the military as well. And, you know, it, it, it was national natural progression for the family. You know, Stuart then went off as well and, and, and also joined. That's it's what you all you boys did. Russell being mm. the odd one out joining the Navy. It was too short. <laughs> Was he? Was. Was he? Yep, he went to the Royal Naval Recruiting Centre um, in Leicester um, and they said he was too short for the Marines by about half an inch or something. Wow. So he joined the Navy. Brilliant. I'd never have thought of that. Mm. I just thought he was being awkward. No, <laughs> no. I think Gary joined in 76, Russell joined in 77, if I remember. Yeah. So you um, came back out? And did all sorts of things, I think, didn't you, in the early days? I remember you working for the electrical CEF, didn't you, for a little while? Yeah, when I very first came out, I worked for, I don't know, um, Bill and Diana over the road? Mm-hmm. Across the road, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Gen- they had a generator sh- um, manufacturer's a workshop in Brackley, and I worked there. And until I passed my driving tests, because I, I didn't have a driving license, so I came out of the Marines at um, about 18 and a half, um, didn't have a driving license. And as soon as I got my driving license, Russell, who was working at that time in Victoria Wine in Banbury, yeah, was chatting to a chap who was a manager of City Electrical, and he happened to say that they needed a a new van driver and he said my brother's just passed his test so that was it that's how I got the job 
that was the job for you. Um, can you remember when that was? Probably 83. Yeah, I got my driving licence in 83, yeah. So that was that was the same year Russell got married? It was. Was that 83? Um, and um, I was one of Russell and Mandy's bridesmaids. Um, me and Tracy Timms, Timo, down the road, uh, and Mandy's sister. Uh, so the family, you know, we, we, were, we were becoming more more family than, than friends at that point. You know, mum and yeah. Joyce, obviously, still the bestest of friends. But, you know, each, each little step was more towards family. Um, yeah. And that, that was fabulous. When did you join the police? 1989. Was that a couple of years? So that was, yeah. So that was a couple of years later because we lost Russell in 87, didn't we? killed in a in a head-on which was horrendous for mm-hmm. all of you I remember clear as day um and you know and he wasn't my brother but he was your brother but I I remember the the effect on the whole family you know it was yeah. it it was just the most surreal it was one of my first I I, <laughs> I always remember so being being a good Catholic girl that I was, and and my mum having her um, you know beliefs that we did, I'd seen two or three dead bodies at this point. Uh, I'd seen uh, you know both my grandmother and and I can remember wanting to see Russell because that's what I thought you did, and uh, mm. it wasn't good because obviously Russell had been in a horrendous car crash, uh, and 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 mum was like no you're not <laughs> you know that's that's one thing you don't need to you know need to see that and I couldn't understand why because you know I'd have only been about 13 by then so it was kind of but I thought that's what we did you know I thought I thought that's what you know you've taken me to see yeah. you know what, what can I do that um and I I also remember I don't know if I don't know if you recall it but I remember one night having a dream and I think you and Stuart and I had all had a dream on the same night different dreams but Russell wasn't dead and we'd all had kind of this you know I don't know if it was a bit, not a vision but it was a dream that I can remember in mine very very clearly you remember the bathroom in the post office had a really deep window yeah didn't it really deep windowsill and I'd gone up to go to the loo and Russell was sitting in the windowsill and he was having a fag now, if you remember rightly, Matt didn't like him smoking. I remember walking in the bathroom and A, being shocked because he was supposed to be dead. And him saying, no, I'm just hiding here. Just having a fag so Mandy doesn't find me. <laughs> it was the most bizarre dream. But I can remember mum t- telling mum, and I think I must have either been in the house or whatever, and Stuart had had something similar. And I think you had had it almost as if it was his way of letting us all know that even though he'd gone, he kind of hadn't gone. We'd all oh, yeah. still got him, you know. We'd all yeah. still got him, um, and it, it was, you know, it was very bizarre, a very bizarre time. And and now you, similar to to me with mum, you you you've lived your life far longer without your brother. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, it it it, it was a a surreal time. But I don't think I've never experienced anything like that again. That's for sure. It was, it was really strange. It was really hard. It was really strange, but almost 
kind of like a backstory to that. So when we all grew up, our childhood years were obviously in Leicester, mainly in Leicester. Um, and us three boys, we we didn't get along and, you know, go off and play football and, and hide in, you know, playing hide and seek and things like that. We pretty much fought all the time. Literally, it was a running battle as opposed to anything else. But I can remember fights between Gary and Russell, between me and Russell, between me and Gary. And, and it was just ongoing. I mean, I remember one day Russell was being chased by Gary and he came running up the stairs at our house in Leicester. And at that time, at the top of the stairs was a window that led out onto the garage roof. And I opened the window for Russell as he came running up and he jumped out the window onto the garage roof and went straight through it. So I, I can remember that quite, quite clearly. So it, it was sort of like running battles. And then obviously Gary went off to the um, Marines uh, and me and Russell fought for about another year. And then he went off to the Navy. And then I was sort of like on my own with a snotty little baby brother. Um, we came to um, Middleton. I then went in the Marines, came back out. Now, after I came back out, I started playing rugby at Brackley. Um, and by that time, Russell had got married to Mandy and they moved down south. Yeah. Now, bizarrely, that was almost the closest I'd been to Russell because we, I was a rep then, so... We were okay for money at that time. It was the only time in our marriage ever. Um, and Nicola was working at the bank. Um, and so we used to go out for meals, um, which was quite novel, sort of like in the 80s, for young couples to be able to do that. Yeah. And I yeah. remember um, we'd gone out for a meal with Russell and Mandy one, one weekend, probably only about, I don't know, three weeks before, just after Christmas, might have been around Christmas time. And then he and Mandy went back down to their, uh, um, I think it's Somerset, and he phoned me. Now, he never used to phone me. I mean, we didn't have mobile phones yet, so it was no. a landline to landline yeah. call. Purpose phone. And he phoned and said, me and Mandy went out for a meal, when you next come down, because I think we've been down to their house once before, because uh, it's a new house. Um, he said, when you next come down, we've got to go to this restaurant. It was really good. You know, we really enjoyed it and blah, blah, blah. And we, we chatted a little bit about rugby. Um, and that was it. And that's the last time I ever spoke to him. So it, it's really bizarre that all through our childhood we, we fought and then we just... If like bonded. I mean, he played rugby with me once, and that was again. Um, th that was the time we went out for the meal because um, he had come along to watch me play for Brackley. Got his boots in the car, but he lived down south. He played for North Dorset Rugby Club, and um, literally it was for the first team, Brackley first team. We were playing somewhere in Northampton, and we didn't have a sub. So Russell had his boots, got changed, borrowed some kit, and on he came and scored Brackley's only try. <laughs> so, and again, that was just a couple of weeks before he died. 
So all of that was sort of like almost subconsciously making those memories for me, which it was out of the ordinary. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So him phoning me, it was all for a reason, Yeah, I think. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, and I, you know, we, we've had conversations before about when people leave us, you know, that they, they do. There's plans in place outside of what we know in, in how they are, yeah. for sure. I mean, it was only, you know, mum, I, you know, I look back and I, and, you know, mum was, mum was poorly at that time, mm. but I am glad she was there for, for mum and for you boys, you know, because it was, I, I always thought of the, the, the two elements of loss, you know, Russell was gone in an instant. There, gone, you know, that like say the last conversation you had was was about going for a meal you know nobody probably had a a a a farewell you don't have a farewell conversation do you because you think you're going to see him again <laughs> you know and that, so that that loss was a was an instant loss and then I look and I and I used to think what what was easier not that either element is easier but what was easier was it the instant you're gone or was it the two years I sat and watched? <laughs> you know, yeah. and there isn't there isn't an easy because because neither are easy. Um, but I don't I don't know I don't I don't suppose any of us can answer that, can we? But I was going to say I suppose you can make sure that they know your feelings, but when when do you pick the time to do that? Yeah, because actually it, it might be a slow. Um, foreboding death is coming but when do you actually pick the time to say what's building up yeah. you know, do you pick on time because I remember when you know Nicola's dad recently um, passed away like years, and and that was a slow thing as well mm. we knew it was coming there was no cure it was horrible we knew he was going to be locked in at the end and and, you know, you just try and every time I saw him and we were alone, I would just kind of say something else as opposed to say everything. You just say a little bit go at a time. Yeah. And, yeah, you're right. You don't have the opportunity with a sudden, you know, road traffic collision, death. Yeah. It, it, it's gone. And then you think, I wish I'd have said this or I wish I'd have said that or I wish we'd have done. But actually, he'd already sorted that. Yeah. He'd already played rugby with me. He'd already yeah, yeah. phoned the blue just for a chat and to say, come out for a meal. Do you know? Yeah. So he'd done that, obviously subconsciously, but I don't know. It's Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there is a, a worst or a better way. I don't think so. No, no, no. It is what it is. It's whatever, yeah. whatever way we lose them, don't we? We lose them, whatever, whatever shape or form. Uh, so 1990, uh, I lost mum in the January and I was trying to work this out in my head. Nicola must have only just been pregnant with Hannah. Now, you'd already got Marvellous Thomas, little chocolate face. Just imagine him with chocolate mousse. Uh, but 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 Nikki was, I think she must have just been pregnant with Hannah because Hannah was early, early yeah. September. Um, and, I, you know, it... it the next kind of step for us was was Hannah arrived, um, and I I think it was I was just when I was coming up I was either just approaching my sixteenth birthday or around about that time, and 
you were getting ready because Hannah was only a couple of months old by that point and you asked me to be her godmother um I'm gonna cry at that now that's stupid isn't it she's bloody 30 now silly cow <laughs> um but it, it it absolutely to me that cemented me in the family I didn't I didn't need cementing in the family I'd already got you all hmm. but but with lack of of, of ever being I have I have wonderful nieces and nephews. I'm very fortunate. My husband has got brothers and sisters and I have nieces and nephews. But I don't have my own. But you have always been the closest thing. So to have Hannah as mine, <laughs> sounds daft, doesn't it? But she's have to have Hannah as mine, that was amazing. Um oh God, get off. I'll be all right in a minute. You're a soppy date. Oh, see, you can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but 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 it, it really really was, and she she <laughs> uh, she was just delightful. Um, and 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 as a tiny baby, um, I didn't say much. And like I was still, I was still finishing school, and I moved to Northampton to go to college. And and she was quite little. Um, but then it got to a point, I think she must have hit about four or five and it was birthday time and it was like, right, what do I get her? She's my goddaughter, what do I get her? Well, I know, I'll let her choose. And from that moment, that became the annual shopping trip <laughs> and the annual birthday outing. And I used to, to come and get Hannah and she, she, we'd have a budget and she could get whatever she wanted. And it literally was. Whatever she wanted, she could have it. You know, she, she knew how much she got to spend for the day, but it meant if, if it was some, wasn't something you and Nikki would buy or she wouldn't get, you know, and she came away with all sorts of stuff. And over the years, that, that just happened all the time. And even when I met Guy, their, their birthdays are only kind of almost about 17, 18 days apart, if, if that, actually. Um, and I always remember Hannah came first and then Guy was like, oh, so so what do I get for my birthday? And I'm like, well, we'll wait and see, but I've got to do this first. And for years it was like, oh, what, what now? I'm like, I don't know, because I'm taking Hannah shopping first. Um, but, but we did and we had some of the best times. And I can always remember each year, you know, and I'd see you guys in between that time, but that was always the, the special time. And I would get in touch with her and say right what are you doing for your birthday and she said well I was waiting for you to tell me what we were doing before she made any plans with anybody else it was always about what we were doing first you know um and that that was just just wonderful and we we've had um some some brilliant experiences since then and I'm very lucky she's she was 30 last year she'll love the fact that I've said she's now 30 a couple of times um, but she was you know 30 she's quite old now don't worry about her um, what to say for me uh, yeah but you know strangely though in my eyes you've never aged you and Nikki have never aged weird isn't it your hair's changed a few bits over the time you know but you know, you've, you've got some though I remember days of no hair you know, I remember, you know, no hair days and that's quite funny. So to have some now at the moment is quite funny. Um, anyway, let's flip back about. So 89, joining the police. Why? 
well, it was like the Marines, wasn't it? It was always going to be. Um, Dad was in the Marines and then the police. And so it's kind of, it was always going to be. Um, obviously, before I joined the police, I was working at an electrical wholesaler and I was doing really well. I was a rep and this and yeah, but And I was doing well, but I always thought I'm always going to be chasing the next order and you know mm. it, it was it was stressful I was only young um with a with a just one um child at that point um but I always knew that I was going to join the police I think but there were points when I was like I say I was doing well and I thought well I could actually stay doing this Gary joined the police in 87 um yeah. And obviously watched him do a bit with what he was, you know, things that he was doing. Um, and then I remember my boss getting the sack. And he was a really nice bloke. He was from Northampton. Really nice bloke. And had two children of his own and a foster child. And just out of the blue, they sacked him. And it was like, what? And it was just because his figures, you know, the sales were, they were going up, but not going up quick enough. And I just thought, how can somebody yeah. just get the sack? I just thought, nah, this is not for me. You know, they're not looking after the people, blah, blah, blah. Um, so then I thought, right, now's the chance. Now's, you know, now's the time I really should join. So I did. And it was very straightforward. Um, yeah um, would I do it again not that you asked that question but would I do it again because <laughs> you, you retired last year didn't you uh, 2019 oh god yeah I, I tend to forget last year really it's <laughs> everybody tends to forget last year yeah of course it was because then obviously last year we were battling with to and fro with, with you guys in, in France so 30 years you did then yeah I signed up for 30 years and thankfully, although they did change, um, so people who joined sort of like two or three years after me thought they'd signed up for 30 years and it's been extend extended, so they've got to work longer. Thankfully, that didn't happen for me, so I was just really, really lucky um, and got my full 30 in and and had a, an exit strategy. Yeah. Well, you, you worked so, yeah. hard. I mean... Um, the, the last 10 years, you worked extremely hard. Um, probably the last six years. So I did 25 years as a constable. Yep. And then um, then it was it was getting a case of my back's hurting too much, carrying all the, the weight around because I was on the firearms team. Um, by that time, I passed my sergeant's exam and I thought, I've just got to get promoted and not carry the gun anymore. Um, and that's what I did. And then <laughs> I don't know whether it was whether it was greed after that, but I thought, well, actually, you know, my pension is going to be better. I'm a sergeant, um, yeah. and I've you know I've only got five years left. Um, but actually, now that I'm doing the sergeant stuff, I was mixing obviously closer to the inspectors, and I was thinking I could do that. There's no, you know, they, they're they not special. I could do what they're doing. 
And yeah. so I then did the inspector's exam as soon as I could after being a sergeant um, and got promoted to inspector. So I was only a sergeant actually two years. So I, I mean, I, yeah. I remember when you passed your sergeant's exam and, and you weren't, it really seemed like a flash before you were going, well, actually now I'm training to be an inspector and I'm studying for that. And that, and, and that went really quickly in my head as well. That went really quickly. Did it mine? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's, that's, um, you know, that, that, that was hard work. It was a hard time. You know, you, you, there was a, you, there was a lot for you to do. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the study for the sergeants was harder, um, and not just the exam. So studying for the exam, uh, it was just a case of, uh, and I'm not very um, academic at all, but I would sit on the computer and just do questions. So I couldn't read a, a textbook and take in what I needed to know from the textbook. But if I was given a, a question and I didn't know the answer, I'd look it up. So that's how I learned. So I was just yeah. doing questions, answers, questions and answers, on and on and on. And actually, when I did the sergeant's exam, because I studied so hard for it, um, and only that way, only literally by Q&As, yeah. when it came to the exam, I passed in the top half a percent in the country which was mad. So I had to go and have, you know, tea and cake with the chief constable. <laughs> um, literally, um, I, out of about 9,000 odd people that took the exam, I was 83rd or 84th or something in the country. And like I said, I'm not academic at all, but I just did those Q&As and got, got through it that way. So when it came to just a couple of years later doing the inspection, exam um which is only slightly different it's a higher pass mark but only slightly different to the sergeants i, I didn't really have to study that much i just brushed up on the q a's again yeah the hardest thing for me was passing the um the sergeants um interview board because you you're basically being tested as a sergeant but at that time i was on the firearms team and i had been for 15 years so it was so far removed from what the day-to-day -day policing was doing out there that I couldn't get my head around what a sergeant did. So then I, what I had to do was um, come off the firearms team as a PC to then go and try and get some acting sergeant work on the normal policing area. And as it was, as soon as I said to the bosses that I was going to hand my firearms ticket in and go back as a PC, I had a phone call from an inspector in Oxford offering me an acting sergeant job. So I never actually went back as a PC. And I remember my yeah. superintendent saying, when I left the firearms team, he said, you put those stripes on and you'll never take them off. And he was dead right. So I was, you know, I did some acting sergeant work and then... Past, past the board, first time like that. So, yeah, it was, <laughs> I was going to say lucky, but it was actually lucky. I had to work quite hard at it. You did, you did, yeah. And I, I was going to say, um, a lot of my running theme is friendship. Yeah. You know, you made friends in the police that you've had for 30 years plus. Yeah. 
friend, you know, friends you've had for life. How important do you think those friendships were during your career? Um, I think that the thing about the friendships is that when I was on the firearms team, you've got friends who are on the firearms team and that's kind of all you do to keep me or what kept me grounded almost and separate from the firearms team was having friends from before I went on the firearms team who then themselves didn't do that. So, you know, obviously I'd say one of my best mates from the police is, well, he's now a detective inspector, but he always went the detective route and I didn't. Um, so that, that was almost the best thing is, is separating what you were doing from your friends. You've got your friends in the firearms team, but that's quite insular. It was to have a friend outside still in the police so they, they know the kind of game that you're in, um, but yeah. away from the firearms team. That, that's what I found the best. And, and going back and, and seeing the people that I worked with before I went on the firearms team was always the best. I mean, I... Yeah. <laughs> here we go. Um, I kind of always thought I had imposter syndrome. So Gary was on the firearms team before I was. Um, yeah. And I kind of didn't want to do that because Gary had done it. But it was kind of the only thing that interested me Um so then I went on to the firearms world uh, and Gary was there. So I was always Gary's brother, which stuck a bit uh, and it stuck in the craw a bit that, you know, I, I wasn't myself. I was Gary's brother. And, and that lasted, got a good few years, got to be 10 years, easy 10 years. And even when I joined the police, you know, we, we were on the same division together. We weren't at the same station and never at the same station, but we were on the same division. So I was always yeah. Gary's brother. Um, and it wasn't until I sort of like uh, changed different firearms departments um, that I became my own person, if you like. So I was, yeah. um, I was Pickles. So that was, and then, then it was sort of like made a bit more sense. And certainly towards the end, because of getting promoted and then getting promoted really quickly again afterwards because I'd already been around the force quite a lot on the firearms team. Now as an inspector going around, it it it's kind of changed a bit and Gary was, oh, you're Andy's brother. So that was quite yeah, strange. Yeah. <laughs> Back at you. Yeah, and, mm. and it, it is... You know that that's hard, isn't it? People, you know, people are going to perceive that you always were his little brother, but then even more so, you were his little brother, <laughs> which is yeah hard going. Yeah, and and it was I always thought because Gary was really good at shooting. Obviously, he went on to be the firearms instructor. So, and and he was really good at, at shooting. I was okay. I got by. Oh, you know, I was never going to be the sort of like class marksman or anything like that. I always passed my classification tests, but, you know, yeah. never with 100%. You know, it was, it was just okay. Um, so, and with other things in yeah. there, oh, can I actually do this? Can, you know, and then being a, a sergeant, when I first went to be a sergeant, I was thinking, crikey, can I do this? 
And it wasn't until a superintendent said to me that she used to um, dread the phone going because, you know, if the phone went when you're on duty, on nights, as an inspector, there's nobody else. It's you. You're the one that makes that decision. So she, and, and to hear her saying that as a superintendent, which is several ranks above, I was thinking, well, yeah, yeah that, you know, that's a normal sort of, feeling so that that was good you know have, having that comment that meant a lot yeah. and again yeah, she, she was someone I knew when she was a PC you know we were PCs together and now she's a superintendent so yeah I, mean, I suppose that's friendship as well that a superintendent can open up yeah. to you and say actually I used to dread the phone going uh, another extremely important friend you have in your life and I think it's probably fair to say that you absolutely 100% saved her life hmm. so, <laughs> looking at me as if to say oh where's she going with this you know where I'm going with this yeah yeah so tell me I, I, I'll keep this as breath as I can so um when Nicola was working at the bank we were in Rotaract, which was like the 1830s of Rotary. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we went along and we had a, a, a talk one meeting day. Anthony Nolan, Bone Marrow, we said we would. And I think they arranged um, to come to the bank where we could all go along, have our blood taken and go on this register. So that's what we did. And then... A few years later, literally, I'd almost forgotten that we'd done it. I had a letter through the post saying, we think you're a match for somebody. Can you give us some more blood? So I did that. And then they said, we still think you're a match. Can you go to a hospital and do another test? And went and did that. Um, And then eventually I had a letter saying, can you go into the Royal Free Hospital and donate bone marrow? And I did. So it's, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's no big deal. It, it was no big deal. It was, you know, happy to help. I've got something somebody needs. It's not really going to cause me any dramas. Yeah. Um, and went off and did it and donated bone marrow. All they told me was that it was for a lady. Um, don't even think they told me. They might have said in the north of England, don't really remember uh, at that point. But then they said, and you can't contact her. If she wants to make contact, then she can contact you. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and that was it. And then nothing. And then one year, several years later, we had a, um, from Anthony Nolan Bone Marrow, from the lady that I'd given the Bone Marrow to, and it was a Christmas card, obviously a Christmas, Christmas card. Um, and that was it. So I think her address there, and I sent a Christmas card back, and we did this for a couple of years. But I was expecting her to sort of like say, oh, can we meet up or what? And, and unbeknown to me, she was thinking the same because she'd been yeah. told that she couldn't make contact with me. Uh, and that's why the first Christmas card came through the Anthony Nolan people um and then 
one Christmas again, the Christmas card came and in there it said something like, I think I might have mislaid your address. Not sure if you've moved since this. So, you know, this is my phone number. You can just let me know that you've got it. And it was like, right, okay. And we phoned up. Um, I phoned her up and we were just chatting. Then we realised that obviously we'd both been told the same, that we couldn't get in contact with each other. Um, And we obviously realised that it was okay. So we went up to see them like a couple of weeks later. Um, And since then, we've been friends. Absolutely. (laughs) She's my bone marrow sister. Bone marrow sister. I love that. (laughs) And how, how long yeah, ago was that? That was, that, oh, Miranda, now you're asking. Um, I know. Early 90s? Oh, it's definitely early 90s, yeah, because she's one of the longest bone marrow recipients, um, you know, still alive now. What was I? I must have been mid-20s, 27 right. years ago. Yeah, well, there you go. It, and it's amazing because, like you say, she is still with us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a good, I don't know, 10 years before we made contact because we'd literally just been thinking, oh, well, perhaps she never wanted to contact me or anything, but, yeah. 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 Now, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you, I don't, I, I don't know if this is something, but I remember you once saying to my husband, if you want to ask, you just ask. Um, you're in another network of family, can I ask about that network of family? Because, you know, apparently if you want to ask, you can ask. Yes. So, again, following Daddy's footsteps, I uh, joined Freemasonry in 1988. So wow, that's a long time again. I've been a Freemason a very long time. And, and do you know the reason why I joined? Mm-mm. So... No. When Russell was killed, obviously yeah. dad was in Lodge at that time. And as you probably well remember, the funeral was extremely well attended. Yeah. Uh, there were just hundreds and hundreds of people. And um, I, you know, people would come up and, and chat to me or just say a few words and and I just thought, who are these people? I don't know them. So I say to Dad, who's that? Oh, that's a chap from my lodge. All right, okay. Well, who's that bloke over there? He's a bloke in another lodge that I went and visited a few weeks back. All right, what about that bloke over there? Oh, he's in another lodge and came to visit our lodge. And, and it was like, so all these Masons that we never, that I never knew, um, everything they seemed to say and do was was just proper. It wasn't over the top. It wasn't understated. It was just right. And I just said to Dad at that point, I want to join. Um, and that was it. So it took well over a year before yeah. it was my turn to go in. But yeah, I joined in 1988. Wow. I didn't realise it was that long. Yeah, before I joined the police. So, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and, and that is that's another... I mean, and it doesn't really need any more explanation than that as to to what is friendship and and what what it means. Because, you know, there your dad was with a a horrendous occasion with all these people there for him to support him. 
Yeah, it, it's, it is a fraternity. Um, it is certainly in the UK, uh, men only, but very inclusive of their, you know, um, wives. So the ladies do, you know, have a, a good part to say in it as well. But predominantly, masonry in the UK is men only. Um, but obviously there are going to be some people that may have joined for the wrong reason and, and are soon, yeah. you know, uh, almost found out or they find themselves out and, and it kind of doesn't work for them. But, but it, it can be so, you know, the help and whatnot that you get is so understated. You know, you, you wouldn't go kind of asking for help. You wouldn't have to because it's already there. Am I making yes. sense? As, yeah, far yeah. As, as far as what we do in the ceremonies is concerned, that it, it kind of doesn't really matter. It's what happens before, after. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I again, it's something I've, you know, been doing for a long time and, and I really enjoy it. I really enjoy all the camaraderie. And, you know, so I know people like have come out the, the military and have been an absolute loss um, yeah. for many reasons. And then they find that sort of camaraderie again that they have in the forces in the Masons. So, and, and do you think, do you think, you, you know, men's health and, and men's mental health and support is so not talked about and not shared, and we know it becomes even more important Um as life takes these 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 turns more dramatically, and I think than years ago, then actually, like you say, that that level of support that is just there, without you having to to you know go and try and find it, can mean so much to a lot of people. Yeah, and and I've been through some pretty horrendous stuff in the police, um, and very various times through my life and I've never felt thankfully thank god I've never felt that I've had to ask for that help because it's kind of always always been there and it's already there so I'm not looking for it yeah and you know with the uh, the the mason side of things although I was very young when I joined um in through the years of being in you know I've because I've kept in touch with some friends from school um, and we still got a good group of, you know, school friends. And bearing in mind, we didn't have social media back in those days. And the, the fact that no. they're probably a good part of us, you know, that we're always meeting up. Um, you know, a couple of those joined Lodge as well, um, yeah. you know, because of me being in there. Um, and, you know, we, we've been really close all the time. Um one of one of my friends who, again from school, um, who didn't come into masonry, but a really really good friend, maybe because he didn't have that Masonic link, um, and again a man in a, a very bad place, very down, didn't know how to ask for help, and and didn't ask for help, and and ended up hanging himself um and he was one of our circle and I remember one of your old neighbours Richard Jasper who was my best man yeah um yeah we need to make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else of our 
you know, friendship group and and said way back then, you know, we've got to have a code word. You know, we, we, we've got to have a code word or something yeah, yeah. that one of us to say, and we know that we need to rally around. Thankfully, yeah, we kind of came up with any code word, but <laughs> because we didn't, because you didn't we knew the um, yeah, and, and that was horrendous losing Andy like that. It was. And he was one of the yeah. first people that I ever met in Middleton. And that was waiting for the school bus the very um, first day I uh, went to Maudlin. So that, that was horrendous. But, yeah, I mean, if it, if it wasn't for those school friends now, you know, that, I mean, not that we were particularly tight at school because you drift from yeah. one group of friends to another to another. But after school... Um, in fact, after I came out of the Marines, you know, they were there and we all sort of like met up and in various ways, like, you know, yeah. Simon would be through rugby. Um, Richard was obviously with his bagpipes and everything. And then I joined the, that pipe band for a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really strange. And then Henry, with when I was working for the electrical wholesaler, he was he's an electrician. Chin from the village. You know, we we just all kept together as, as mates, and that's brilliant. Yeah, but we do miss Bear. Yeah. With with Andy, I mean, I you I could look back and think, you know, I'll blame myself because I obviously didn't let him know that he could come and speak to me. But mm-hmm. in hindsight, I kind of now realise that he felt that he couldn't speak to me because he felt that he was in the wrong. And at the time, I was, you know, a police sergeant, and and he he almost didn't want to admit that he was wrong, and that's why he couldn't speak to me. And I don't know, it's I I don't have any answers. I literally do not have any answers. Um, and how could I? Because you can never put yourself in somebody's um, shoes. That, that are so such deep depths of despair that they've gone and done that to themselves. Yeah. How could you ever know what they're feeling? Because it, I mean, you can have empathy and sympathy, or, you know, after the event, or, but you could never feel like that because if you did, you'd be doing the same. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. I I don't have any answers. Um, I, you know, he had friends. He had good friends. Um, if he'd have asked any one of us for any help, we'd have dropped anything and gone and helped him. But we just didn't know. Um, and then you, 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 do you then kick yourself because you didn't notice? There's too many, too many variants, aren't there? You can't know everything. Oh, no, no, absolutely. And I think you could, uh, you can tie yourself up in knots afterwards, trying to to have seen it, and that doesn't actually help anybody. At all. At all. So now, in in your life now, so you you and and, and Nicola are in France. Um, you um, bought the farm two and a half years ago. Uh, yeah, two eighteen. Two thousand eighteen, we bought it. Yeah, um, and it's uh, fair to say it's a work in progress. <laughs> I wanted a project. I wanted to keep uh-huh. busy when I retired, but I, but I didn't want to work. I didn't want to be yeah. a security guard or um, 
anything to do with security or police or anything. I just wanted something completely different. But I knew I couldn't do nothing. Yeah. Um, so we wanted, and we always wanted to move to France for probably 15 years. God, yeah. And and we wanted somewhere that had something that I could work on myself. And, and we just got everything we wanted for. Um, the house... It's comfortable. We can live in it. Uh, it's now a bit warmer than it was when we first got here this year um, because I put insulation in. Um, but we've got barns to renovate, um, grounds to do whatever with. Uh, I mean, I've got more work than I will need for a lifetime. So I'm yes. as, as the proverbial pig. <laughs> Uh, which I do believe are your wife's favourite farmyard animal, if I remember correctly. Indeed, yes. Um, you still have that tattoo, yeah? Well, they don't go away. <laughs> I know they don't. Do you know what? I can always remember, I can always remember being in the dining roomy bit in Middleton at the back of the post office and with mum and you had just come back from having it done. And you stood there and you said, look, I've had Nicola's favourite animal tattooed. And the next thing you know, you turn around with your ass in the air and there's this pig on your backside kissing a heart, if I remember rightly. Something along those lines. Sniffing a butterfly. That's it. I knew it was was looking up and doing something. And I I, I just remember my mum going, oh, Andrew, that's nice. (laughs) Where 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 do you go with that? Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, that's quite funny. It's quite funny stories you remember. Um, you guys now being in France, your son is is in a, another country uh, in the world, um, and your daughter uh, is down the road from me here in Brackley. That's a big decision. Tom moving away, you know, Tom moved away a long time ago and he is absolutely living his best life uh, and enjoying his life. Um, And Hannah has uh, James and the fabulous Zachary, (laughs) who we just love to pieces. How hard a decision, bearing in mind you and Nicola, that had been a plan that had been talked about, like you say, for at least 15 years, how do you make that decision? Crikey. Oh, now you're pushing some buttons. Um, yeah. it, and I'm going to say this because Nicola always says it. It must be easier for men you know, to, to leave your family and to leave your, your grandkid. Um, and it is. But then I've always listened to what other people have said. And, you know, you can't live your life for other people totally or you can't you you can't put your own plans you know to one side for the sake of because you you better do something and regret it than regret not doing something yeah it's some gola once say i don't <laughs> i mean we, we had had this plan we the world isn't as big as it used to be no. um having said that since we've been here as been during the coronavirus pandemic and it's been an absolute nightmare so whereas you know probably Nicola would have gone back to the UK at least a couple of times since we've been here yeah um it would have been a case of me driving her to the airport 
she could jump on a plane, be home in an hour and a half, or you know, back into Brackley in an hour and a half, two hours, and you know, and you know, stay for a couple of days and then fly back, and it wouldn't have cost that much either. Um, so it's made this current state of affairs has made the world a bit bigger again. Um, yes. I don't think yep. Brexit has, has helped either because now you know there's a few more conditions with popping backwards and forwards than, than there would have been before, um, which is a bit of a shame. But we couldn't, we kind of couldn't have not done it. I couldn't imagine what I would be doing in in Brackley now, in that house, done everything that I needed to do to it. Yeah, yeah I'd have been looking for a job and then I wouldn't have wanted to go and work for anybody else. Yeah. I'm working for myself now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always been our plan. We really, it's harder for Nicola than it is for me. Um, although I do, you know, miss the little fella. But again, with, you know, like FaceTime, Absolutely. Zoom, WhatsApp. Yeah. I mean, you can see them, you can have a chat. We've yeah. done virtual babying with Hannah working from home. Yeah, yeah, She'll yeah. just give the phone to Zach uh, and he FaceTimes us or, you know, WhatsApp videos us. Um, yeah. And then we're talking to him for an hour yeah. as he's walking around the house, playing yeah. and stuff like singing. that. So singing, singing, dancing. Loves a bit of singing, yeah. And that's so, that, I mean, and how, how lucky is that? Because actually... I do think had we had this pandemic 20 years ago, it perhaps wouldn't have looked like this either. Um, but that's aside, personal view. Um, but thank God we have got this element of technology now. Yeah. Because it does it does enable people to work, you know. So, yes, people can carry on working. And, and it does enable us to, to actually not be that far away, you know. And, and that's it. And, uh, and I know, you know, you, you still talk to Tom, you know, via FaceTime and stuff like that. So it doesn't matter. You don't necessarily physically have a touch, but let's face it, we're not allowed to physically touch now anyway. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's a lot easier to do this. So, you know, we we can't wait for for this to to be over, mainly because I'm desperate to come and see you guys and and see it and, and, you know, just just be there it doesn't matter what or when and that's exciting for me um and you know I think it's it is it's another new chapter it's another new element and and how amazing I I look at the things I've I've done in life and they've been fun and they've been varied they've been checkered at times um you know (laughs) <laughs> but but I, I wouldn't change any of it um I think it you know I had my conversation with Stephanie and you know we talk about that maybe had I not lost mum how would have life been I would not have had my life that I've got now had I not lost her and I know that that it doesn't sound that I miss her or, or, or I miss miss her any more than that but I wouldn't have done the things I've done because life would have just looked differently you know um and and that 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 would have been what it would have liked and and I kind of begin to imagine what sort of things would have been um but it's just if you don't go for it if you don't try it you're never gonna know yeah absolutely um and 
it's funny because one, one small family we didn't talk about, um, or element, if you like, is the, the martial arts family. We left that bit out. <laughs> the only time you, your brother and I could legitimately fight without our parents telling us off for fighting. Um, and that, that was obviously judo I'm referring to there. Uh, yeah, it was the only time your brother used to be able to throw me around and it not be at home at the post office. Um, shouting and screaming. <laughs> my mum, why did my mum and your mum talk for so long, right? Because Stuart and I would end up fighting and I'd be trapped in the bedroom until I could tell him what 12-12s were. Which in those days, you know, we've sat here, I'm no good at maths. Despite the fact <laughs> it was the same question every time, I could never remember. And mum would shout up the stairs, Miranda, come on! And I'd be stuck. Stuart's like, well, I'm not letting you out until you tell me. You stand there. But because they would carry on chatting, I'd still be stuck. <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so there, there are, there's many layers to, to us as a family. Mm. Uh, and that's what we are. Um, and there's many more to come. I mean, like to say, you know, having, just having Hannah's 30th um, and being with mum and dad, um, you know, and there's this all being together again and there will be much more i am now as you know about to become a nanny very soon congratulations we have seen i know <laughs> april uh april i'm quite excited um but you know that that's another another that's my next chapter that's my next adventure and i just hope that it is as much fun as i think it might be i'm sure it will be I think it's quite amazing seeing, you know, you with your pub. Um, when I first heard, I thought, what is she doing? And it wasn't until I then thought about it and thinking, actually, that's probably the best place for her. Not the pub, but sort of like behind the counter, being that bubbly landlady. Yeah, it, it's it's you, you know, and, and seeing you there in your element, it's just... Yeah, it's it, it is just you, yeah. and I'm sure that it won't always be. You won't always be there at that pub doing that. And I think the next thing that you turn your your mind to, and then your hand to, will be equally as strange to me to think about. I don't know. You could an Andalusian pig farmer. I don't know. It'll be, it'll be something completely bizarre until you're doing it. And then it'll be, yeah, always going to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why didn't she do that years ago? I, I, I know <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because I, my, I often say that I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. You know, and that, that's just how I feel. I love doing what I'm doing now. It's not the norm at the minute, but I try and avoid talking the the, the COVID word. But it's not normal, and that's the world. Um, but I will get back to to where I need to be, and I will. Uh, continue to host the way I do um, and it will be it will be good again you know what whatever shape the hospitality industry looks like I'll be a part of it I won't not be involved I will not uh, you know because that's what I do at the moment um, and and I'll just love that I'll just love that um, I, I, I think we're, we're, we're kind of there I think don't you <laughs> I think there's not I much don't know where don't know where there is. I don't, no, I think there's there's not much 
we haven't covered i've kind of covered everything i wanted to with you and probably asked you things you haven't been asked for years um and i yeah just love you love you lots very much very important part to me uh, and my little world so i thank you for that well your world isn't a little world it's a very very colorful world and we love being a part of it too good uh love you lots thank you much big kisses If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in today's podcast, then there are several places you can go for some support. Mind and the Samaritans are a great place to start for mental health. And if you're looking for advice with regards any kind of cancer support, then obviously Cancer Research UK or Macmillan will be there to answer any questions you have. Just remember, people, keep talking. Let's not miss the conversation.